The Athletic. The Phil Hay Show. Welcome to the Friday edition of the Phil Hay Show. It's brought to you by The Athletic, along with The Square Ball. Dan here from The Square Ball with Michael and Phil Hay from The Athletic. Straight from Jesse Marsh's pre-match press conference ahead of Villa. You've come from Thorpe Arch, Phil. Um, straight down to the studio, which we'll get into in a second. Quick reminder to read Phil's stuff, his analysis on the games, and you can chat to Phil as well in the um, in the Q&As ahead of the matches, after the matches as well. Theathletic.com forward slash leads pod to sign up. Have a look at the new year offer on there. To the press conference, Phil, how was it? It's funny, let's go back actually as a starting point and talk about something we said, I think, in the last week or so, which was it felt a little bit like the club can't do anything right at the minute in the eyes of the fans. And I've realised... In, in listening to and watching the reaction to what Jesse Marsh said today, that he's kind of folded into that as well. Because you see people going on the attack saying, well, he's not saying anything. And I think we've got to that point now where, regardless of what he says, and he has to do this contractually, that people just need to see some results on the pitch, don't they? There was a point halfway through where he said, he was asked how, how it's looking to him, how he feels about the way the season's going and the way the table is. And he said, there's a group that still hasn't come together in the way... I would like, and and bear in mind that he's not far off a year in charge now. We haven't been able to push it in the way we want, and um, so you know, the way that we want, so that we don't have to talk about the table. But but this is where we are, and the reality for virtually every manager, head coach, is that the less you win and the less impressive your results are, the harder it is to engage people with what you say, and and the less people are inclined to listen or or to to even want to hear it because you you rapidly get to a stage where. The, the overriding reaction of people is, look, just get points on the board, get further up the table, win games, get results. And and in Marsh's comment there, I think he reflected that himself. You know, the, the, the realisation that, yes, you can sit and you can say X, Y and Z and you can promise this or you can predict that. But what's on the pitch speaks for itself and tends to speak most loudly. I mean, I, I'm going to ring the book fast bell here, but I, <laughs> I always enjoyed immensely else's press conferences up until the last season where because it felt as if we were in this cycle of it never quite clicking never quite getting into the run of form that meant that you felt that it was in hand you did rather feel like you were going round in circles but Bielsa the, the length at which he could speak was incredible and, and his patience with it all as well he would happily go on all day in press conferences as much as he didn't engage the media out of that when he did you know it was kind of like right this is your time crack on for as long as you need to I don't think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think that if the football had been really poor under Bielsa from the start, if the results hadn't been great, if it hadn't gone as planned and if it had all ended early, I don't think you would have sat and listened to his long spiels in the same way. I think you would have sat for much of it thinking, what is this all about? And I, and I don't get this. I mean, you only have to look at some of the coverage of him at Bilbao and Lille and, and other places to find that the the absence of results in periods, I mean, he had great times at Bilbao, didn't work at Lille at all. But in the second season at Bilbao, when it wasn't happening, there was more and more of a struggle for what he was saying to convince people because when set against results or performances or whatever else, um, it, it didn't match up. So I do feel that when you have a manager who has it on a string and, and has things going well, what they say becomes far more interesting. It does. And and the nuance of it and the way in which you dig into it, the way you analyse it is is totally different. Leeds are on a run at the minute of two wins from 16. They're where they are in the table. So it's the football that talks, isn't it? Um, and I think in these sort of periods, it is difficult for, for somebody like Marsh to, to win to a degree because you sat in a press conference, you have to answer questions. You, you're going to be asked things. You can't not address them. In the end, everybody sits and says, all well and good, win some games. Do you think he talks too much in these press conferences? Because sometimes I listen to them and I think, oh, all right, he's answered that. And then almost just because there's a tiny gap, he just starts talking again. And you think, no, no, just leave it there. You don't need this extra bit. I would say there are times when he when he does over talk or perhaps answers in more depth or more detail than he necessarily needs to. Again, it's that catch-22, isn't it? Of if you look like you're being obstructive or deliberately obtuse to try and avoid questions or to try and avoid saying anything that doesn't tend to play particularly well either there's this sort of I guess undefined middle ground that you want to hit perfectly this sweet spot where you're saying enough but not saying saying too much and that you know some of it can be unfortunate as well there were the quotes today about him saying that he wants to be an obsolete head coach and you you know you sit there sort of <laughs> thinking okay well Make your make your own jokes, and and he said he was ridiculed in Germany for saying that, and he thought it was lost in translation. And if essentially what what he was trying to say was, 
I want to be at a point, and this, this actually was in reference to how much time he spends on the touchline, which is a lot. Um, and he says in England, he's in the technical area far more than he was when he was in Austria or, or Germany because he feels as if the team need more help from him um, as a result of the way they're playing, as a result of the, the results themselves. And what he wants is to get to a point where the team pretty much look after them after themselves. You know, that, that they are able to play fluently and, and play with a structure that doesn't need kind of constant guidance. I don't think, realistically, a team ever gets to the point where they don't need the, the input of, of a head coach. Um, so a head coach is never going to become obsolete in that sense. So I totally understand what he's what he's getting at. But I guess if you want to make if you want to make a few naughty headlines out of that, then it's not difficult, is it? Picked a hell of a day to uh, to sign up to LinkedIn as well, didn't he? Back to the presser itself then, and some of the detail therein. Um, where are we in terms of players? Then Phil, we got um, Bamford in the squad. Yes. Which has to be good news, um, and we've been been waiting on. They they did say before the World Cup when he went for the operation that it shouldn't be too long before he returned. Um, I don't know if you count the middle of January as not too long, but he he is back, um, and the cycle starts again. Really, doesn't it? We start to see. I can't see him in any way any chance of him starting at Villa, uh, but I would assume from Marsh's comments today that he'll be on the bench and. For him, it now is again about the process of trying to build this up and get himself going properly where he can be regularly in contention, regularly play, ideally as well. No Sinistera at the moment, but he you know, he is getting close now and I would have thought by the end of the month they, they must be ticking on towards the point of being able to uh, to rope him back into the fray. The kick in the teeth is Chrysenzio Somerville who is out for three to four weeks uh, with an injury suffered from that tackle at Cardiff it was like uh, a scissor, scissor tackle, wasn't it? Yeah. It led to quite some quite choice comments from Marsh about the protection that that Somerville and Nonto in particular are getting from referees. And I, I happened to have written about that this morning, about the fact that Nonto is about six games into his Premier League career and is already per ninety minutes one of the most foul players in the division. I mean, he he has been obviously that was a, a nasty tackle on Somerville and it's done him damage, but it's been I think probably more evident that. Nonto is getting clattered all over the place. I mean, let's not um, brush over the fact that he did dive and or was booked for diving at Cardiff on Sunday too. But some of the some of the tackles on him have been extremely heavy and have left him limping all over the place. And I think already you realise that his movement and his speed, his ton of pace actually from you know from a standing start. And also what I I started to find as I was looking back through some of the footage was the way in which when he goes to collect the ball or when he presents himself as an option. He always, always tries to position himself in a pocket of space, which means that the first thing he can do is turn and sprint at the um, defenders behind him. So it makes him difficult to mark. It makes him difficult to manage. Some of the fouls will be accidental in the sense that he's a very easy guy to end up bringing down. Some of them have been absolutely crunching hits that have done him done him a bit of damage. And I think Marsh talking today about referees needing to, to give a bit more protection to the two of them, I think is probably fair comment. Nonto falls into the list of players who, you know, you hear a lot spoken about when it comes to fouls. So Grealish and um, Wilfred Zaha um, down at, at Crystal Palace. And, you know, he is only 18. He's, he's got quite a robust frame as Nonto. But even so, there's only so many of them you can take. He does, to quote our favourite Argentinian manager, unbalance the opponent, doesn't he? I really like yes, watching him. He's just I he's do. just loads of fun. and I He's think, proper cool. Yeah, he's proper cool as Nonto. There's been an absence of fun at Leeds, I think, over the last year or so. Yeah, he's like the little sparkling diamond, isn't he? He's definitely the the, the shiny thing in the squad and looks like we're going to get a new one with um, Jorginho Rutter coming from, from Hoffenheim. But he's been a bit of a revelation as Nonto to say that this would have been, I think, ideally the first window where they, they would have brought him in. He's a runner, obviously. He's very quick. He's very athletic. But he he looks intelligent to me. You know, the way he plays, the way he thinks, the way he reads the game, what he does with the ball. He's clever. Bright, bright guy. Quite silky in a sort of... It's like controlled chaos, isn't it? The total opposite of headless chicken. Um, and a really, really good signing. And what's quite, what's quite interesting with him is that I think... When you look at Rutter's stats and his numbers and what he does... He can play through the middle without a doubt. You know, you could play him as a nine, you could probably play him in behind or or as part of a front two. I would have thought that that is most likely what Marsh will lean towards. But he's also extremely good with the ball at his feet. You know, really good dribbler, really good at one-on-ones, take-ons, all that sort of stuff. 
But actually, one of those positions, you know, in front three, if that's how it is, and in this four three three that Marsh has gone with, I think is nailed down at the minute because it's Nantos, isn't it? And I don't think Rutter coming in at the age of twenty, however highly rated he is and however expensive he is, means that you're automatically bombing Nanto out of the team. You know, the, the similar stage of life, similar stage of career, and Nanto has absolutely been good enough to keep his place. Just to quickly go back to the injuries, he he mentioned a few names. He didn't mention. Rocker and Harrison, are we just assuming they're fit? It sounded like it. He was asked later about Millie, um, who had a muscle injury, didn't play at Cardiff last weekend. He'll be fine for Villa. So I think the inference was that the players he talked about were the ones that there were potentially question marks over and the rest of them should be okay. Just to correct you on one thing, Phil, he is now 19, his Willie, he turned 19. Sorry, he is fifth, indeed. On the 5th of November on Bonfire Night. Indeed. You get the general idea. Yeah, he's a young man. A, yes. fine, a fine young man at that. Uh, yeah, so is Melier. How important is Melier, do you think, to this um, to this team? He was spoken about today in the presser. Um, very. He was spoken about in the context of his leadership qualities. And if you revisit a podcast from a while back, we were talking about the, the process that is going to happen, you would imagine now, of um, of Melier moving from France under-21s into the full France squad, um, helped by Hugo Lloris, uh, Spurs retiring from international duty. What we were told prior to the World Cup, and Melier didn't go to the World Cup, was that Melier would be left to play in the under-21s Euros um, at the end of this season. And after that point, he would be moved um, into the, the senior squad. I have to say that from watching the, the little I've seen of Robles, he looks steady, I think, as a whole. But the, my kind of conclusion from the game down at Cardiff is that there is no, still no serious threat, I don't think, to Melier's first-choice keeper at Leeds. And I think he is... 100% the goalkeeper who needs to be between between the posts from here to the, the end of the season. So yeah, he, he is he is very important. On the defensive side of things, Phil, Marsh denied today that there was a back post problem when Melier's picking this ball out of the net. He denied there is a back post problem. There can be a back post problem. I have seen games in which there has been a back post problem, um, for sure, in the same way that, you know, I think right the way through, we've we've seen this, this goal on repeat where um, Leeds get at least get caught short on one side opposition switch one way and then switch back to the other look for runners coming in at the far post I do think it's there and I think you'd you'd have to have now a, a sustained period of games where Leeds don't concede that it's not that, that that is the only type of goal they concede and it's not like they concede that every single week but you would have to have a sustained a sustained run of games now where that doesn't happen to say look here is a good sample in which you can say that that is not a problem it is, it is a point at which they can be weak and I'm being mischievous now, but he spoke about Never. Verba being a centre-back. So where's our left-back, Phil? Well, I asked him the question, who do you see at left-back now that you've effectively got three options, strike, Verber and um, Junior Furpo? And he said that th- th- his answer to that wasn't to say, I absolutely would play Verber there, that's who I think. But he, his initial answer was to say, I think um, I need to get Verber into the team as soon as possible. I need to integrate him as fast as I can. Um, I think if Cooper is fit, Liam Cooper is fit, and Cooper said to the BBC on Wednesday that he would be available for the, the Villa game. Um, Marsh didn't contradict that today. Uh, then I think Cooper plays on the left-hand side of the, the defence um, of the, the two centre-backs. And then I think there is you know, the question of who plays outside him. And I do feel that Marsh is probably going to start leaning more and more towards Verber. I, I think what you saw from Verber in the second half at Cardiff was just that intensity and I think a bit of maturity as well. You could see an experienced footballer there, somebody with plenty of games behind him and somebody who didn't seem particularly intimidated by what he was he was stepping into. I think it might well do him good and do Leeds good to, to get that going as quickly as possible, get him unwrapped pronto. And Junior Furpo, is he going to be our new breakout wing wing star, our wingman? I cannot see that really. Um, the the discussion went down the lines of is he better going forward than defensively? Twitch Marsh effectively said, "Well, yes, you know his kind of strength is is his attacking play." But look at look at the squad. You know, you've got Nonto, you've got Somerville, you've got Harrison, you've got Rutter coming in, all being well, who can definitely definitely play out wide. I don't think there's much call at the moment to be trying to fashion a winger out of out of somebody else I was going to say it feels to me a little bit like Furpo is now the, the the odd one out on the left hand side but I can't help feeling that if Verbo settles there and has a, a decent run of games then if Furpo does have any way of getting himself up to Premier League level and, and being a reliable member of the squad then surely he has to be your second choice there surely you have to be in it if, if he is not second choice left back it's hard to see what the point of it is um, and, and what the if if 
if Verbert is essentially first choice and Stroik is his backup, then to all intents and purposes, it, it's not really clear why it is that you need you need Firpo. And I think one of the things that Stroik's performance at Cardiff told us is that he definitely needs more games on the left side of the centre back pair. You know, that's where he needs to settle. That's what he that that's where he he is going to be long term. So when it comes to Firpo, and there, there were a few reports this week about Real Betis liking him quite keen on taking him back I'd be quite surprised if that happened but he definitely definitely needs to find his niche doesn't he this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an NBA game and more head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more Let's have a chat more in depth now then about our new shiny toy, Jorginho Rutter coming in from, uh, well, from France via Germany. Yes. We've, d- we've done this before. We record a bit and then something goes wrong. Well, let's say, let's say <laughs> where we are. As far as we understand it now, we're recording at quarter to two on Thursday afternoon. Yes. All, all being well, he should not bamba Dienge and get on the plane. Well, that would uh, be a good start. And, uh, and then he'll be coming into Leeds. He will pass the medical. He will not have poppered on feet like uh, Michael Cuisance. Yes. Uh, and we will unveil that signing in some hours. Yes. Um, <laughs> let's, well, as it, as it stands at the moment, if he passes his medical, then it's all good, baby, baby. <laughs> if, um, if he fails his medical, then it was all a dream. <laughs> um, that was a very unexpected twist for this podcast. Phil. I don't know why, the, the only reason that just came to mind there was that I, <laughs> I think I tweeted the notorious BIG thing when Dan James finally, finally signed and when Leeds got promoted, I don't know how the two of those are, are in any way linked. It's taken quite a bit of work to get to this point. It, it, people who follow the timeline will have seen that last Friday, uh, he was left out by Hoffenheim from a friendly against Wolfsburg. A Sunday, just as Leeds were getting, or at least were arriving at Cardiff, Hoffenheim put out a statement saying he was being stood down from training. He wasn't going to feature in a friendly the following day as well. His agents' representatives were over on Monday night um, into Leeds, and at that point, you were thinking, "Well, you know, this is all kind of going swimmingly. This should should it should move quite quickly." It's taken a good forty-eight hours of discussion to get them to a point where they're totally agreed on a fee, Hoffenheim and Leeds, and it looks like the fee will be somewhere in excess of twenty-five million pounds, somewhere below thirty million pounds total package, including add-ons and incentives con to other people reporting out in Europe um, looks like it will be more uh, around the, the ballpark of 35 million 40 million euros if, if you want to put it like that so it's a lot of money but to go back to the previous podcast it's also not a lot of money given the way the market is at the moment and I think crucially it's not vastly beyond what Leeds were expecting to pay you know I think it's what they, they thought they would be in for with Rutter it's, it's what they're going to have to commit to and it did become apparent over the weekend and, and early this week that he was the one they wanted. You know, the, the shortlist of strikers they had, it was Rutter that they, they wanted to do. And it's quite an intriguing sign, really. I think there's quite a lot to like about it. There's quite a lot to look forward with it. It needs to work, evidently. But I'm I'm pretty interested by this one. He looks great, doesn't he? I mean, we're always going off the limited highlights. Um, you know, YouTube, or if you've got the subscription, you can always go on Y Scout and watch him. But which I have, obviously. But um, I mean, we should we should say as well, a lot of these YouTube compilations just pull um, video from like. Oh well, yeah, of course. Y I Scout, mean, there's not they? actually it's not actually that much different. The, the difference with Y Scout is that aside from just showing the goals, it will also show you fouls and you know mistakes and and this that and the other. So and you can. Is get, it, what about the hundred chances he's missed? Yes. So you get the <laughs> you, you get the full shebang. You know, you can't. Um, you can't sort of splice and dice and, and make him look like um, like Messi if he's not. But a lot of what he does, considering that he's only 20 and that he played very little senior football before he went to Hoffenheim from Wren, a lot of what he does looks pretty on the money to me. Looks like good potential and good ability to work with. Looks like he should be able to make a pretty quick impact at Leeds. And looks like he's got a lot of, a lot of scope to grow and you know, potentially some some really good resale value as well. So I quite like this one, I have to say. Do we have a definite plan for him? Is he Rodrigo's backup? Is he someone who can come in, off, come off the bench and play anywhere across the front? He can play anywhere. So he can play out wide. Um, I say anywhere. Can't play in goal. Um, but up front, he can play across can he, the... Can he play left back? Across the lane. <laughs> I suspect not. But <laughs> Rafinha might, played right wing back at this point last year. Might, this is true. might give, it a, give it a bash. So he can play across the lane, play centrally, no problem. But he has good pace his dribbling stats are exceptionally good so 
you know, he'd, he would be suited to a sort of wide forward role. I don't mean winger, 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 but, you know, if you're using, in the way that a lot of teams do now use forwards, like Salah, for example, you know, out wide, um, I, th- I think he could be good there. What the plan for him is uh, in Marsh's mind is impossible to say because Marsh has kind of steadfastly tried not to talk about transfers um, at this point, although he will speak about him as and when the, the deal is done. But that's that'll be well worth finding out because that will obviously be a question. If you have, you know, as I was saying, talking about Philpool, but if you have Somerville and you have Harrison and you have Nonto, you have these options out wide, then it suggests that really Rutter starts to provide another option through the middle, but he can certainly certainly be versatile. Well, to quote Angus Kinnear, Phil, let me throw this one at you. January's not a good time to do business. So what's changed? Well, January's not a good time to do business from a financial point of view because you you tend to pay more than you do during the summer. So in an ideal world, if you can avoid spending in January, then you, you tend to, and you see that with most of your, your bigger clubs or, or most elite clubs um, who don't tend to get busy at all at this time of year. Manchester City, great example. But it's fine being theoretical about it. The come points for a football club where you absolutely have to look at what's in front of you and accept that you don't have the depth resources that you need. And this is your one opportunity mid-season to address what you don't have. And bear in mind that we're now into January and Bamford, it's not unfair to say, has hardly played. You know, So one of your centre-forwards, one of your number nines, has made little or no impact. And if you, you know, if you're showing due care and attention, you have to ask yourself the question, is it sensible to sit and say, yeah, but he could be back for the second half of the season and he could play 15 times before the summer? Or does common sense make you think, if he's not been able to feature at this point and really, you know, for the best part of 18 months, he hasn't been particularly involved, do we actually need to recruit there? And I think the answer is you need to need to recruit. So it's it's timing, isn't it? Sitting on your hands in this window being in the position leads are in, I think would be dangerous. And I think they realise that as well. So they've done Verba. Um, they're in the process of doing doing Rutter. And I think they would have said at the start of the window, though, those really were the two positions that more than any others they had, they had to seriously think about. But now there's noise about a midfielder as well. And if you're to believe the reports, I mean, Unahi is the one who's mentioned the Moroccan, yeah. the Moroccan midfielder. So, you know, talking up these numbers, you're talking, what, 10 to 15 million commitment in the long term for Verba, 35 million for Rutter another central midfielder, if you're shopping in that ballpark, you're getting upward of sort of 60, 70 million committed in this window. I mean, there have been, been a few reports about Inahi and he, from speaking to more and more people and people speaking to us at The Athletic, that's definitely one to keep an eye on, I think, from here. It doesn't seem to be in dispute at all that Leeds do like him and there does seem to be a temptation there to, to get involved in this one. And I, I got the sense that to an extent that was part of the part of the rationale for, for kind of making sure that the price for Rutter was right was that they didn't want to leave themselves by paying so much for him, say up front, or as an, an initial fee prior to add-ons and bonuses, that it didn't give them wriggle room to do anything else. Unahi, naturally, is more expensive now than he was before the World Cup, because he had a great World Cup with Morocco, is definitely sought after. I mean, you, you'll have seen the reports about Napoli wanting him. But there is a, there's a situation in Europe at the moment, and it frustrates quite a lot of Europe, that... Premier League clubs have an awful lot more draw and financial clout than a lot of clubs elsewhere. And it means that you can have a scenario where a team as prominent in Italy as Napoli, who have been, you know, give or take, in the mix for a long time now, seriously good side, seriously good club, Champions League football and and everything else, don't necessarily have the ability to compete financially with clubs who are much further down the Premier League just because of the way that the Premier League is, is set up. So whereas I think Unahi might have cost you say 12 to 15 prior to the World Cup, I think now he would be more up around about £20 million with more, I would assume, added on bonuses and and incentives. So with him or or another um, central midfielder, now that Matthias Click is gone, there will be the question of budget. You know, that obviously comes into play as it did with Rutter as well. Would they be able to afford him? Would they be able to find the cash? But although Marsh has been saying, you know, and he was asked about this again today, whether he was happy with his options and he said in that particular area he said yes but although you know he's been saying that there does actually seem to be a discussion going on in the background about the possibility of going for somebody like Unahi because I th- and I have to say that if that was done on top of these two deals it would it would change the complexion of the squad quite significantly and to my mind in a really good way given there didn't appear to be the, the budget necessarily for these signings in summer 
how has this been found? Because it felt. I mean, I know you, do, the, you do worry about money, don't you? I know there was the attempt at getting <laughs> at getting Gakpo last minute, but it felt like we all summer people were saying we need a left back and a striker, and they didn't do it then. The club have said previously January is a bad window. Yeah. So why why didn't they act in summer? Is a good question. For transfers, they need to find the money. Leeds are, Leeds are not a club who have obviously when they sell somebody like Phillips or Rafinha as they did last summer, then that gives them money to what was money in the accounts. If they don't have that, then they have to find the cash. Where does the cash come from? We've discussed this a hundred times. It comes from your shareholders. So it comes from either the 49ers or Rad Razani. None of these transfers that Leeds do are done with upfront payments, as in paid in full here and now. So even if um, Rutter was initial fee of, let's say for the sake of argument, £27 million, Leeds don't pay £27 million on Friday or Saturday or Sunday when the the, the um, transfer goes through, assuming the transfer goes through. It, they pay an instalment, yeah? Pay an initial instalment. So that's the, the money that they, they have to find. But when it comes to negotiating a transfer, it, it's not only about, um, or it's not only a matter of how much do you pay up front? You also have to think of the liabilities further down the line. So if in signing Gakpo, say, you have to commit to a deal that has you on the hook for X, X number of millions going over many, many years, you have to decide, do we want to get hit with that liability? However good Gakpo is, however talented he is, however much we want want him, is there a point at which we say that's too much of a liability? You know, that's too much to, to go after. And... But I'm not entirely sure that that's that's solely what it was about uh, with Gakpo in the summer. There was obviously you've seen the quotes from PSV saying that the incentives Leeds were offering were, in their view, unrealistic, you know, and un- un- unlikely to be achieved. But I have to say, reading some of the quotes from Gakpo as well, it didn't sound as if he was wholly rushing to jump on Southampton and Leeds as options. He seems to talk far more about Manchester United having been an option and then not, you know, because they didn't they didn't push on with it. Clearly, has now gone to Liverpool. That he was, he was very, very happy with. You'd have, I guess, you'd have to ask him this question directly. But it seemed to me as if Leeds and Southampton left him more in two minds. Much as I think Leeds felt like they had a serious chance of getting him, Liverpool would seem to, I guess, it would seem to suit far more the level of a player who wants to play in the Champions League and has just been at the World Cup with Holland. And the big elephant in the room, it continues to be there, lingering with its trunk, doesn't it? The Forty ers and a takeover that's in the pipeline, but not yet finished and you were talking about shareholders putting money in there you, you have to assume that a, a proportion of that is coming from them at very least that's what I was getting at really with the question because it felt like over summer we spent the money that we'd had in but then that was unless something special came up everyone seemed fairly content with that yeah, and, it, yeah. and it felt like a cite, an often cited reason for that was maybe that there's we're at a bit of a standoff where the 49ers have got the money to put in but they're not in charge so why should they and do you know, do you know what else there was in the summer though there was confidence within the club wasn't there about where they were at and you only have to go back to those programme notes saying we don't really need a striker and here they are now signing uh, well there they were going for Gakpo at the end of the window and then Dieng obviously bringing in Nonto and here they are now adding another one ideally Rutter if, if all goes well with the medical and, and everything else so I guess at that point, if if you're sitting and you you can look at the quotes from Radrazani as well in that interview that we did with him, him saying it's impossible to get relegated. Well, the Bloomin' isn't poss- impossible to get relegated because look at the table. You know, it's it's kind of it's kind of right there um, for a lot of clubs, not just Leeds either. There's a there's a right group at the bottom. So if that confidence is there and you sort of think we're all right, then the motivation to spend money is is lower. But then you get to a window like this and you start to ask yourself, do we need more? Yes, we do. Money is money is found, um, but if you're saying the 49ers must be heavily involved in this, I can't disagree with that. It, it certainly looks like they should be. Interesting times, Phil. Interesting times. Um, if not Unahi, then in central midfield, a few rumblings about Seko Fafana as well, who's at Lons. Um, who, I, I've seen. And, yeah, and the, the last central midfield that we signed from Lons was um, Oli Decor, and he was brilliant. And on that basis alone, let's get it done. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. There's far more chat out in recruitment circles about Unahi, I have to say, but I don't think in any way Unahi would be the only option for them. They never, they never really have one option. They tend to be, they tend to be more than one. And I know people joke about that and say, "Well, how can we then end up with nothing?" But you know, this is sometimes how how it works. There will be, I think, there will be some goings on before the end of the window. Rotherham really keen on Leo Helder, keen to take him on loan. Maxim Max Dean linked with Harrogate. The big one is probably going to be what they do with Gilhart and whether they decide with Rutter coming in and 
Yeah, because it's funny, isn't it? Having spoken about the options up front and everything else, we haven't even touched on Gelhart so far. And it does feel as if he's a bit peripheral in the here and now. I don't think peripheral in the long term. They certainly want him to be a, a big, big player further down the line. But there is plenty of championship interest in him. Swansea, one of the clubs who are mentioned to me, I suspect, and I might have said this on Monday, that the the choice would be left to him. You know, it'd be a case of, do you want to go? Do you want to go get games? But potentially now, with the added warning of, look, a minute's going to be in, in hefty supply now. There'll be people who will think, just keep everybody, you know, because you've got them. Um, that gives you more resources. It, it kind of covers covers you back. But that's where you have to find the balance and that's what you that's where you have to decide what's best for everybody. And it sort of speaks to a, ch- a changing of the pathway, doesn't it, if we, we send him out on loan? Here's another one. I mean, Creswell down at Millwall. My understanding is that the recall clause has elapsed because it was very, very early in the month. But from that point onwards, there have been expressions of interest in him. It's not that he's not playing at Millwall. Uh, it's just that he's not an absolute fixture in the first team. There are expressions of interest in him from other championship clubs, some of it on loan, some of it um, permanent. I wouldn't be surprised if we see him back as well. I was going to say previously, it's worth noting that the Rutter is actually only two weeks older than Gelhart, yet when you spend you know, up to 35 million quid on a player versus a player who's kind of come through the ranks and we've poached him at a relatively young age from, from another club because of Wigan's financial difficulties, it starts to feel like different levels to the game, doesn't it? Well, also, there are circumstances in which Gelhart could have been the jewel in the crown so the young striker who is in the mix um, and there to be used and it did almost feel in the last stages of, of Bielsa's time as head coach you had Bamford you had Rodrigo and um, Bamford not not fit that often admittedly but you had those two and then everybody's perception was that behind them you had Gilhart and you, you wanted to see him getting a go I accept that Gilhart isn't really a wide player um, but quite a lot of the, the players at Leeds are quite versatile so I think you play Nonto through the middle no problem at all. And what you have now with Rutter on the way is a 20-year-old from Hoffenheim, you have Nonto, who himself is 19, um, you know, so actually younger than Gelhart. You have Somerville, who's come through pretty hot. Again, you know, is, is older, but or I think is older than Gelhart. There's not very, very little between them, but not at essentially the same level um, and the same point. So the competition is pretty, pretty vast in that age group. Add in, factor in Perkins, um, factor in Matteo Joseph as well. It's pretty intense, actually. And I don't think anymore you simply sit and say, well, it's, you know, Gilhart's got the honour, hasn't he? It's a proper bum fight. I think there's a factor here as well of being a Premier League club and having a depth of squad in the youth, the youth levels as well, where I suppose in the past, because the, the squad is always pretty thin, a youth player who failed would leave on a free and end up going to Harrogate or somewhere. Whereas now a youth player who maybe he's judged to have failed at Leeds, ends up going on loan and we get 10 million from him in summer because they've done they've done well enough somewhere else. Um, and maybe just that slight change of the business model is, I guess, a bit hard to get ahead around when we're used to our good players. Good young players used to come into the team, play well, get sold. But I mean, the, the model at Leeds is, they, they are to a large degree sticking to it. You know, Verber is, you would say, quite young. You know, he's not, not a kid and he's not a teenager, but he's still in the early, early parts of, of his career. They could easily have gone for, say, Huang at Wolves, somebody that Marsh likes, has worked with before, knows really well. But instead, they've gone for a 20-year-old from Hoffenheim who has years and years ahead of him to grow, could, as I said earlier, have really big resale value, could underwhelm. You know, there's the, the chance of that as well, as there is with just about every signing. But it is there is definitely this focus on trying to look at and invest in players who are at the you know at the very very beginning of their career or not far off the very beginning of their career? Leeds seem to me to be the last club out there who are dipping in for thirty-year-old loanees or you know players with experience, if you you want to put it like that. Um, there are times when I think they could probably do with a little bit more, but um, the the model is kind of holding. I was going to say that approach is great when it works, isn't it? Because you. You're only ever, is, you're yeah. only ever building the value of your squad. It's just if you do go down, and then you start looking, you think, God, we could have really done with the, an experienced thirty-year-old centre back coming in who just who just knows what they're doing. I mean, what, one of the ways in which I always sympathise with recruitment people, including Arthur, is that it's very easy to get it wrong. It's so easy to to get it wrong, and the tools that you have, and the the investment that you make in software and scouting, scouting, and, and everything else, definitely makes it easier and, and should make it easier. 
when you make mistakes, you, you're pretty exposed by them, aren't you? And, and you're right. When it works, everybody loves it. When it doesn't, it looks like a bit of a, a fool's errand. But I think it's, I think it's, I think the areas are far more grey than that. I don't think it's so black and white. And everyone has the software. That's the other thing. Yeah. So you get a kind of an arms race, I suppose, to who's got the who's got the best software, maybe. But it's <laughs> um, no one is going. No Premier League clubs are buying players without looking at well, a huge amount of data. I, I go back to a story Arthur told when I was chatting to him for the Bielsa book, and and he said that you know, when he used to go to a, a youth tournament in South America back in the day, first time he went, there were about ten scouts there within no time at all he was going and there were like 300, 400 so it wasn't as if you were coming back from South America saying there are these amazing kids over there I'm telling you now nobody knows about them and we can probably get them quite cheap because nobody else will be after them you know fine well that 400 other scouts are flying back to elite clubs saying there are these amazing kids in Brazil and by the way if you don't get in there straight away somebody else is going to buy them because it was absolutely you know more pandered out there so it is it is a, a challenge but I mean a little bit like playing and managing, you know, it, it's, it comes down to performance in the end, doesn't it? And you, and you get judged very harshly. Too soon for Rutter to be there on Friday because it will be complete. Obviously, Phil, by the time this show goes out, of course it will. You said that. Yeah, well, fingers crossed. But no, um, to Villa Park on the Friday night game. And uh, another game where we don't quite know what we're going to get. What do you expect from this one? Um, we, we were finding it quite hard to to know where to position ourselves on this one. But Likewise. To, see, it seems to be a, just a recurring theme we lead this season, doesn't it? Likewise, partly because Villa are under new management with Unai Emery, uh, so are going through period of change and um, therefore period of flux. The last time we were at Villa Park, it was that hell for leather 3 all effort, wasn't it? Um, where Coutinho kind of came to life for about 15 minutes and, and cut leads to shreds. Because of the way... Emery's teams are. Emery, Emery's built a reputation over the years on his coaching in Spain in Villarreal and this kind of remarkable, remarkable European record that they that they have. He's. I, I, I don't think it'd be unfair to say that he can be quite a cautious coach in comparison to um, some others who are far more open and and expansive. And I think that's probably how it will be. Um, how it will go for Villa, and I think that's probably how he will build at Villa. So I'm not sure I'm expecting six goals in this game. Although, by all means, hit me over the head with this on Monday morning when we're, when we're doing our, um, our post-match catch-up. I think it will be tight and I find this pretty difficult to call. So just returning us to the press conference and who's in and out for this one then, from what was said. Tyler Adams, is he going to be back in? Yeah, we took it as read that the players who weren't specifically mentioned and, and listed will, will be fine. So no Sinistera because of that, that longer-term injury, no Somerville who has this um, this four-week injury um, sustained at Cardiff. But it, it sounded as if you would have the choice of most people. And I, I'd very, very much expect in a Max Ferber debut, I think, um, tomorrow night, which I think would be sensible. And just to clarify, left-back, not centre-back. Um, if Liam Cooper is fit, then I think Liam Cooper will play as left-sided centre-back. Therefore, I would um, I could see... Verba playing as left-back, yes. If Liam Cooper isn't fit and he said that he was and, and we'd be fine, then I suppose that position is very much up for grabs, isn't it? Question was posed to Jesse Marsh. How important is this phase of the season? We are really entering a, a crucial uh, phase now, aren't we? When you look at the fixtures that lie ahead and the need to get points on the board. Didn't we find that last season? You know, at this point, this prior to Christmas, you start to, you start to build up a, a general feel, gut feeling for, is this going well? Is this a little bit out of control, is this a bit out, out of sorts? And then once you get to the other side of Christmas and you career towards May, which always comes incredibly quickly, that's when you have to start doing something about it. You know, if you're not in good shape, in the same way as if you, you're going for the title or going for trophies or whatever else, that's when you need to dial it up and um, and turn the screw. They absolutely need results, without a doubt. And I think, as was proven last season, the assumption that, there are going to be three teams worse than you or that three teams are in more trouble or are going to get into more trouble is um, is a very, very dangerous way to think about it. And I don't think Leeds will be will be thinking that. I, over the next you know two, three, four, five weeks, they need to get themselves up over 20 points and they need to start knocking on the door. No, they're not going to surge to 30, but they need to start getting themselves into viewpoint of that so that they can begin to feel like safety is kind of around the corner and further down because it has been... You know, it has been very pressurised. It is still very pressurised. It's still, it, it, it's still delicate, I feel, 
to the extent that one bad night is going to cause ructions, you know, one bad night is going to upset a lot of people again in the way that it does. There isn't the, the credit in the bank, I don't think, for Leeds to be dealing with particularly poor results at the moment. And this is this is another of those games where you don't want to be told that you can't go to Villa and compete with them or beat, beat them. They're not such a good side that you want to be told that, well, you know, it's kind of unlikely to get much from Villa Park. You want to go, you want to see Leeds go there and win, you know, statement result. Talking of the pressure, how close do you think Marsh is to the sack here? Because the run of That's games, a good question. the run of games we're in, it's been enough to get many and many a manager sacked. Um, I think, I would say, my observation, close if it goes back, you know, if from here there's no discernible improvement and no sign of results coming. I don't think he's that many results away either from being actually quite a way out of trouble at the bottom. Leeds are on 17 points at the minute, 15 drops you into, or 15 is what Everton have in the bottom three. Um, one win, two, win, you shoot, two wins, you shoot up over 20. That gap opens pretty rapidly and, and then um, you you have a, a cushion, you have a bit of a protective shield. It certainly helps from team building, coaching perspective to be able to do some of that work without the constant threat. As Marsh said, go back to section one today, as, as Marsh said, to get to the point where you're not talking about the table all the time, you know, where it's not, not everything is focused on the, the fact that you're not that far away from being dragged into trouble. I think in that position that he's in, history tells you that in the Premier League, managers in that zone are in under grave are at grave danger of being sacked. They, are, they have been for years now and, and always have been. Um, and there are others down there as well, I think, who will be wanting to get more results on the board. The comment you referenced there, he, he said to Jesse then, um, he's trying to provide clarity, which at this stage does, it's meaningless, isn't it? It's completely meaningless. Mm-hmm. Um, the clarity is quite obvious. Get some points on the board. We, we need to start tracking above one point per game, really. Don't we? One point per game would probably just about keep you up, but that would be proper squeaky bum time, wouldn't it? We need to get we need to get north of that, I think. I think one one point a game will keep you up. But then again, it's a bit daft trying to predict that at the moment because there was a point last season um, after Watford away where it was hard to see where on earth Burnley were going to get form or momentum from. And then suddenly it came, suddenly it developed and Leeds were, were right back in it in a flash. I think having felt after the Watford game that they'd, without having done enough at that point, they probably weren't very far away from being fine. And in the end, they were absolutely not fine. You know, it went went down to, to the last day. So yeah, to revisit the, the I guess, the, the first part of this conversation, which was, you know, can what can you say at the moment that people want to hear? Not an awful lot. And cl- I don't think clarity... Clarity comes into it in the sense that you want to be playing with it and you do want a performance that looks as if it's clear that everybody knows what they're doing and what they're supposed to be doing and, and that it's actually actually working. But this is this is hitting the point now. It's getting into the stage of the season where it does just come down to scorelines. In your opinion, do you think the players are buying into this? As time goes on, when it's not going well or it's not going as well as it should, you always start to ask that and you always start to wonder, a little bit like last season, I'm not saying that people, that the players were not buying into what Bielsa was doing because it had obviously worked so well for them previously. But there comes a point where you start to feel the, the strain of the fact that you're not winning enough games and it's not working as it should. And that is always, I think, the biggest risk to a manager. The, the players decide that it's not happening. They don't think it's going to happen. They don't think it's going to turn around. They're, they're, no longer, they're no longer into it. I think there are still enough periods of the game, like the second half against Cardiff, for example, where that would have been an easy tie to sell down the river. Made more difficult, I think, by the fact that selling it down the river would have got you absolutely murdered by 7,000 behind the, the Cardiff goal. But there is still, you know, there is still life in parts of the performances. There is still energy there. But again, they need results. And I find it hard to see that if, it, it, you know, I was talking about two wins from 16. If that persists for a long period of time, I simply can't see how it doesn't have an effect on the players because you've seen before and I've seen before that it does. And where would Leeds go from there? You know, just playing devil's advocate with this one. Well, pass. pass. I mean, because because you can can throw yourself into more chaos, can't you? That's the thing. Yeah, um, that's that's absolutely for another day. The problem with trying to make decisions like that at this point is that you quite often mid-season limit what you can do, you know, limit who you can go for, what you could do as, as an alternative. And I don't get any doubt from speaking to people and, and from the general vibe that Leeds want this to get through to the summer. You know, they, they definitely feel like it would be best for them if Marsh can see them through to the summer and then everybody can can take stock at that point. Um, but this could be, I think, across, you know, the bottom kind of six, seven, eight clubs in the Premier League. 
this could be a, a really fascinating spell for a lot of them because it becomes stick or twist time, doesn't it? The reason that they decided to sack Bielsa in February was because they wanted to leave enough time and enough games for another manager to, to come in and, and have a, a proper crack. And I think, you know, as as things go better or worse for sides who are at the bottom of the division, that is what every board will be thinking about. Are we in safe hands? Are we looking good? If we're not looking good, when do we do it? And how do we avoid, if we are going to do it, how do we avoid doing it so late that it makes no discernible difference? I suppose it's kind of a, it's a symptom of, of where we are as a club that we're not really talking about the game itself because we're not quite sure what to expect, but we're rather kind of looking at the bigger picture here and and questioning where it's going, which is is a recurring theme on this I, show. I would imagine that um, Emery's lineup so far have hinted it or have been four four two certainly in the last couple of games. Um, so two two players up front. Um, I think it was Watkins and Bailey against Wolves. Um, they've got Danny Ings as well. It will, I think, be won and lost in midfield. This um, I, I think. Whichever side has control there will be able to dictate and, and will be able to dominate. And Villa will have the benefit of a home crowd, which I think will probably help them as well. But um, it's it's very, very important to turn up. I think for Leeds, very important that they turn up tomorrow. Do you reckon 4 2 3 1 for this one then or 4 3 3? I don't know which gives you the best options in midfield. He, he seems to be leaning more towards 4 3 3, doesn't he? Um, and it seems to, to feel like there might be a little bit more there for Leeds than there was in. In the four two three one, even though the the four two three one had been there for for such a long period of time, I guess the one thing you would say is that if the the absentee list is as small as it was painted today, then without certain players being a hundred percent, i.e. Bamford and, and others, then he will have plenty of players to pick from, um, and and plenty of options, plenty of ways of mixing it up, plenty of ways of changing it from the bench as well, which I could also see being crucial in in the last stages of the game, finding ways and. To, to tweak it if needs be but I, 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 this feels like a 50-50 game to me I don't know about you I, yeah. it's, I, I don't suspect anybody going to the game tomorrow will feel on the Villa side or on the Leeds side will feel 100% confident about how this is this is going to work out from Villa's perspective partly because they were bang average under Gerrard you know they, they really were and they haven't had long enough under Emery to know for certain how this has fallen into place and, and where it's going but I think as it stands at the moment, there'll be a there'll be a touch more confidence in the Villa camp. I would have said on the midfield uh, selection. Actually, I was looking at some stats earlier, and I noticed Greenwood is now at the top of the list as uh, in his KP ninety one of the the stats, which is key passes leading to shots per ninety minutes, and he's our best player for that now. I guess because he's so good at set pieces. Is there a role for someone who is essentially a specialist in this team? I don't think you can accommodate somebody in the team simply because they're good from set pieces. It's really good to have somebody in the team who is good at set pieces, but you need quality central midfielders. And while I see the strengths in Greenwood and, and I do see, see quality in him, I think I, you can you can tell me if you think otherwise, but I'm still to be convinced that as a central midfielder, that is the option Leeds are looking for. I think there are better players in the squad. I think it's got to it's got to hinge around Adams and Rocker, hasn't it? Those are those are the two you know, experience. I know you got Forshaw, but Forshaw, as Marsh was saying today, is is kind of got this battle with fitness in the way that the Bamford does as well. Rocker and Adams are the two players who are kind of approaching or are in the prime, well travelled, been at a high level before. I think from a mid- midfield point of view, they need to be giving you plenty over the second half of the season. I've been a little bit disappointed with Rocker, I have to say. Yeah, I, I would say I've been more impressed with Adams, definitely. I mean, I mean, they do very different things. Rock is the, the player who you're looking to pull the strings with some sort of surgical passing over over various ranges. That isn't Adam's game at all. And you'd like to think because of that, they, they're quite a nice foil um, for each other. I like some of what Rocker do, does, but I think like a lot of players this season, hasn't really hit it consistently. I suspect with Rocker, maybe the system doesn't work for him as well as it does Adam's because Adam's is all action. Whereas Rocker, I think he needs just a little bit of space to play. Yeah. And, you know, he, he's trying to, Past those surgical balls through the lines, but it's so congested in the middle that's, of the park. That's part of it. So the space around you, first of all, to give you time to play the ball, which isn't always there. Premier League, it's it's really intense division. But yeah, the the out balls and the the options, you know, the really not not easy passes, but the really makeable through balls, really makeable direct distribution that you can you can kind of hurt other teams with. I think if you can get get more of that than Rocker, eh, from Rocker. Then he will he will make a difference. 
a good player. I feel I do think like there's a good there's a good footballer there, but I I've, I certainly think Adams has been more influential for Leeds. In terms of Aronson, then who are you going to go for up front? And if, if it is a four three three, let's have a think. I'm about not going it. for anybody. You, you bloody well should do. This is why you're here, Phil. <laughs> um, Nonto, you'd have to say is one of the first names on yes, the team sheet. I would you, play Nonto. Yeah, you're not um, going to leave Rod- out Rodrigo. Rodrigo's going to play because he's scoring. So do, yes. you, do, you, do you put Aronson in, try and get him to play his way back into form? I think. I think Marsh will will be dead set on trying to get Aronson back into form. Yeah, I mean, I guess it comes a point where if a player's not in great form and Aronson definitely isn't at the moment, that you got to think about taking him out of the team for his own sanity. You know, just give him a breather, a bit of an emotional rest as well. So that that could happen, but I I sort of feel as if that's what Marsh is most likely to do. It's most likely to to try and get him through this by backing him as opposed to to dragging him out of the fray. But I think. Nonto, this seems to me that if he's fit, there's simply no way Rodrigo's going to come out of this team as though while he's he's scoring goals. It's like just this. I've got one eye on Harrison. I'm wondering where. Yeah, he I think know? I think that's probably the the, the toss up, isn't it? But then his form hasn't been brilliant either. I think Nonto Rodrigo, I've been tempted by Somerville to be quite honest. Had he been fit, but you know, not available, not in the squad. Um, I I I think they'll probably find out room for Aronson in this. And just before we wrap it up, who's your right back for this one? Then does Ailing retain his place, or do you put Rasmus? I would play Ailing at the moment. Yes, alongside Diego Llorente. <laughs> I th- why, did, why did you laugh, Phil? My guess, my guess would absolutely—he did not have a good day at Cardiff, did he? Um, my guess would be if they're both fit, uh, Robin Koch and Liam Cooper with Verba to the left. Everything you own in the box to the left. I was going to say, I was, I was going to try and be clever about that, but then I couldn't even remember who sang it, so there's no chance. It's Beyonce. Ah, oh, very good, yeah. There you go. Well, let's wrap it up there, then we'll see how it all goes. We will debrief um, the weekend's game on Monday, you and I, Phil, and we will uh, hopefully be talking about three points and, of course, the guaranteed arrival of our new striker, Jorginho Rutter. That's right. Theathletic.com forward slash leads pod to sign up for The Athletic and read about the arrival of Jorginho Rutter. That Phil, you've already got it written, I presume. Yes, although we did do a piece earlier this week, if you want to have a read um, about his strengths or weaknesses, um, the, the, the crux of it actually was how he has gone from being a £500,000 signing from Rennes in 2021 that didn't make much of a splash outside of France or Germany when that deal was done to a player who is going to you know, go close to, if not break the transfer record um, at Leeds United. It's quite, a, quite an interesting story, that one. Theathletic.com forward slash leads pod. Back on Monday, we'll speak to you then. The Phil Hay Show.